1: Hi everyone and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Larsen from Real Vision, sending to you live Thursday, August 18th. Who is buying tech stocks? That is the question of the day after a big rally in the NASDAQ index over the past month or so. And uh, with me today to answer that question, we've invited an old friend of the show, Tommy Thornton from the Hedge Fund Telemetry. Tommy, it's uh, really good to see you again, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, nice to see you.
1: Good question. Who's buying tech stocks? Yeah, those are all in rage right now. Let's do it. First things first, Tommy. Um, It's obviously a very tricky question to answer, or maybe not. But who is buying the tech stocks right now?
2: Well, people were underweight tech stocks. They were underweight all stocks in June. And in the last Bank of America fund manager survey, they said that they saw the highest increase in inflows into the tech sector, mainly mega cap. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. On top of it, if you go back into early June, there were a couple down gap days that was was just brutal. Those days had the highest percentage of shorting that many of the prime brokers have ever seen. So once we've lifted above those levels, I think all the shorts that they just had to cover and capitulate, and that's what's been happening.
1: If we look at the positioning right now, I think we can bring up a chart, Brian, uh, showing the positioning in S&P 500 E-minis, for example. Um, The latest data point still um, sort of reveals a short position in the future space. Uh, What's your assessment of the current positioning, Tommy? Well, one of the problems with commitment of
2: traders positioning is that there's a lot of ways to buy or sell a particular asset with many markets. And when I say that, let's say the S&P, you can buy spies, you can buy S&P futures, you can do a lot of different ways of getting exposure. So I think there's a lot of people that are short the futures and possibly um, long assets like tech, uh, hedging it out that way. So that it's not necessarily the concern that that I would have saying, oh, I'm short the market. Um, not at all, because I'm more concerned about the amount of short interest uh, overall in the market. I also look at put call ratios uh, on individual stocks, on ETFs, and there's been heavy call buying coming back. You've had heavy covering... And we've seen it. And I think that that's a risk because if let's just say there's some bad news and there's plenty of catalysts coming up in the next couple of weeks, you have Jackson Hole, you've got jobs data, you've got a CPI coming out. And that, to me, any of those could be a risk for the market. Uh, one other risk, and we, we talked about this earlier, the energy market. If you have a hurricane, you could see a supply
1: shock that could spike energy prices again. Yeah, and we obviously enter hurricane season right now. Uh, but uh, Tommy, if we look at your positioning, um, can you elaborate uh, a bit on, on how you've positioned into the autumn here uh, in, uh, in equities?
2: Right. Well, I've been really fortunate this year because I've talked about being tactically long and short at different times. and. Um, I will be quite honest and say that I am net short. I have a lot of shorts, or not all, but many shorts that I started shorting uh, prematurely, not disastrous, but they're, I'm holding them in the red, and it's not necessarily fun. But I feel like this bounce is going to start to wane, especially with the seasonality and those catalysts coming up, which I think that the market's way ahead of itself.
1: If we look at the um, sector performance across the uh, U.S. equity market, I think we can throw up a, a table with the recent performance across various sectors. Uh, and obviously, tech has been, forming, uh, been performing like crazy over the past 20 trading days or so, but energy is actually doing pretty well uh, also. Uh, I know you have a pretty constructive view on uh, on at least various pockets of, of the energy sector. Uh, can you please elaborate a bit on that, Tommy, in, uh, in relation to the recent performance? Right. The
2: last time I was on, I was talking about how I was short, and I got really lucky on catching the top. And I recently covered, and um, it covered all the way down, and that worked out well. And now I'm starting to buy uh, the energy stocks again. I, I think XLE can still be bought. I have positions in Apache, Halliburton, uh, things that I could identify with Demark buy countdown thirteens that we're starting to show up. It's still not a perfect bottom, in my opinion, because this might have been either the first or the third wave down of five. So I think in the whole theater of this market, we're probably going to see a lower high bounce in energy and then fail and go below. And that's sort of a recession playbook. And I do think
1: a uh, recession is on the horizon. If we look at sectors to be short right now, um, what are some of the sectors that you would mention uh, as a current good short? Well, I think, again, we have some
2: catalysts coming up, and that could spook the markets. I think we have uh, Q3 earnings that are going to be a bit more revealing. You know, the market went up because of the narrative of, oh, it could have been worse. Uh, That type of thing happened in actually q2 2000 after some really nasty action in the markets and from april and may and the equity markets lifted into q3 and then all the tech companies had to give terrible guidance and tell the truth about really how their businesses were doing and i think this last quarter there were a lot of tech companies that were able to basically make their numbers they There's some, the big ones can basically pull a lot of different levers to make their numbers. They weren't necessarily great. You know, Apple's growing at around 6% a year. It's trading a little over 25 times earnings. I mean, look, they're the greatest company in the world, but that's not necessarily great growth and they have a glut of phones. You've heard a lot of semiconductor companies give guidance. that's just awful. Micron, NVIDIA, I think AMD is going to have to tell the truth eventually. Intel has been continuously telling the truth. And that, I think, is really important. So the market's ignored a lot of this because we've got this momentum. There's a FOMO happening. And I think that uh, the truth
1: will come out in Q3 earnings. If we look at home builders, um, last time we spoke, Tommy, on, on the Real Vision Daily Briefing, uh, you talked about uh, your daughter buying a house or at least looking for a house. Um, what's your take on home builders and the whole uh, sentiment in, in, in uh, the real estate market right now? Right. I, I think the real estate market's cooling. Uh, we've had six months of
2: declines on uh, sales. Uh, we saw that data today, uh, higher interest rates. Definitely putting a crimp into the housing market. My daughter did buy a house. She paid under ask. Um, she had to get out of her condo. She's got a two and a half year old boy, and he was tearing up the place. So I, she got a good price, great house, and uh, so I'm, I'm very, very pleased with her. But I did short ITB today on the hedge fund telemetry trade ideas sheet. I think it, it's had a nice run well over twenty percent off the lows, and I think that that's a little premature Home builders have actually been pretty good this this uh, cycle they um they're more into telling the truth about their their earnings and they've taken some steps, but still, I think you're going to see uh, the housing market pull back and the Fed wants that to happen. They have a mandate to crimp and hurt and you know, break the inflation uh, cycle here. So I think that's kind of still on the horizon. The Fed actions tend to take a quarter or two, sometimes a little longer for it to start to, for the markets to start to notice. And I think we're sort of in this euphoric, oh, well, the Fed's going to pivot. And anyone who says the Fed's going to pivot is really delusional, in my opinion. They just don't get
1: it. <laughs> I think we can bring up a chart on the uh, pricing of the Federal Reserve, uh, Brian. We have a chart on on the software three-month curve. And I think right now the peak is priced to be in, in roughly six months from now, uh, just below 3.75% um, for the Fed funds thereabout. Um, so a pivot in six six months from now, that could still leave rate hikes upcoming, even potential large rate hikes upcoming in September and uh, and onwards. Um, I know you've been tweeting a bit about the September meeting for the Federal Reserve. What's, what's your take on that meeting, uh, Tommy?
2: Well, the base case right now is 50 basis points. I don't think we're going to see anything um, below that. I, I think that'd be just poor judgment if anybody mentions that or or puts that in their forecast. We could have 75 basis points again. Uh, I think the Fed will do 50, but the the problem that I think the Fed has is that if inflation is at eight and a half percent and you're talking 3.7 percent, I think that you have to start to think, well, Powell, Powell said something really, really stupid at the last meeting. He He's talking about getting to a neutral, they're getting to a neutral rate. Eight and a half to three and a half is... Pretty far off, in my opinion. That's not neutral. You want to see, um, you might have to rate or hike rates much higher than three and a half or four percent, which is what they're talking about. If inflation doesn't cool off and having the stock market go up, it, it actually gives the Fed a lot of cover to to continue to hike rates as aggressively as they want. And maybe that was Powell's intention. Like, I'm gonna like be a little bit dovish here. Let the market go up and I can continue to hike rates, and you've got QE doubling, or QT, excuse me, (laughs) whoops, rewind that. QT is going to double in September, and I think that's going to also be something the market will start to notice. Uh, They haven't noticed it. Nobody wants to notice it. They want to buy meme stocks and bid, bath, and beyond, and companies that are structurally bankrupt.
1: Beth, and beyond. Uh, let's just uh, uh, talk about that case for a second, because we've seen um, a bizarre price action in the past couple of days in, in, in that stock. Please take us through how you've experienced that, uh, Toby. <laughs> I'm no expert with meme stocks. And to,
2: congratulations to all that, you know, minted money on the way up. And um, that's fantastic. I I do find it to be troubling though um, because a lot of people will get left holding the bag and the board member, I thought he was the CEO of bed, bath and beyond, but I was wrong. I had a lot of people tell me on Twitter I was wrong, but he's dumping his $150 million position. And that really is strange because I think there was a form three that he filed on Monday saying that he was buying out of the money calls. And that's just basically someone that's trying to start a gamma squeeze. And I I mean, I guess that's okay in this world. Um, In the old days, uh, when you had a corporate insider buying out of the money calls to spike the stock, I don't know, maybe that was something that was, well, illegal.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, well put, Tommy. Um, <laughs> the last sector that I wanted to to touch upon um, in in the U.S. equity space is is retail. Uh, I think it was yesterday uh, we, we received news from from Target uh, with with um, negative guidance. Basically, what do you make of the retail sector, and do you uh, watch any names in particular?
2: Truth be told, I was short Walmart and Target and Home Depot, and I took. Nominal losses on those. I think that, the, again, the market will take the better than feared type of uh, scenario here and they spike the stocks. I think there's huge inventories in the system, probably 25% higher inventories across the board in all retail in the US. And that's a big number. And what will happen is there's a chain reaction globally because the china data earlier this week showed that orders new orders were down significantly so if china orders are slowing those are orders that go to the us and to to europe and other places around the world that's not a good sign and if there still are heavy inventories at these retailers you know we're heading into the holiday season and if orders are down they're going to be real lean or be real cautious going into the holidays. So I look, I think that I I sort of was nicked a little bit on those recently, Um, but there's still a big problem with inventories. And I think the market eventually will start to catch on. It's going to hit margins. And I think that's another thing. Inventories are also very high in semiconductors, and semiconductors go into just basically everything that you can look at in the economy. And if the semi-space is weak, then you've got a problem.
1: I wanted to play a soundbite for you, Tommy, in relation uh, to the debate on when to go short a uh, bubble. It's from a debate between uh, Ash Bennington and Rob Arnott, um, airing today at the Real Vision uh, platform. So let's listen to the soundbite and uh, get back to that debate.
3: Now, the trick is, be careful about betting against bubbles. You don't have to own them, but shorting them is very dangerous. The most extreme bubble I've ever seen in the data was Zimbabwe during their hyperinflation. As you came into the summer of 2008, the Zimbabwe currency, you could see that the currency was in meltdown. You might very well say, I don't want to own stocks in this kind of crazy environment. I'm going to short sell the Zimbabwe stock market. But it's a very volatile market. I'm only going to do it with 2% of my net worth. A little tiny bet. All right. Over the next six weeks, their currency fell tenfold. Their stock market rose 500-fold in Zimbabwe dollar terms, meaning 50-fold in US dollar terms. Your 2% short position just wiped you out. Your net worth is gone. Eight weeks later, their currency fell another hundredfold, their stock market crashed, and for all intents and purposes, went to zero and stopped trading. You would have been right, but bankrupt. So Be careful about betting against bubbles because the natural next step in a bubble is up, not down.
1: The entire interview is available today at the Real Vision platform for Essential Plus and uh, Pro subscribers. The title of the interview is, by the way, what are they smoking on Wall Street? What a cliffhanger, Tommy. Uh, but uh, back to you and, and and your thought process when you decide to to short equities in general. I don't know whether you prefer to answer that question rather than what they're smoking on Wall Street.
2: Yeah, that, that interview was a little, uh, that snippet was a little mind boggling to me. Um, first of all, if you're going to short something uh, and I'm all fine shorting things, try not to short things that are completely obvious. And, and that I think is the most important thing. Um, Make sure you're not shorting into something where everybody else in the world is short. And if you're wrong, you don't have to lose all your money being short and exit quicker than Losing all your money—that's just the fact. You have to have risk management. You have to size right. And for me, I like to find ideas after shorts cover. I think it's right now is a pretty good time. Now we've seen a lot of shorts cover, and that will create a vacuum if there is any bad news because the shorts are the natural buyer. And if they're gone, uh, it could go. Things could drop a little bit more than uh, than expected. So that that's, those are little things that I like to do when I'm, when I'm looking for a short and again, don't short bed, bath and beyond when the float is 44% of the float is short. It just, no, you don't do something like that is even if it's the most obvious thing in the world, don't do something like that. It just makes no sense. You could be a hero, but the odds are against you. When you, when you try and do something like that. I'd, I'd take the other side of that trade and go along anytime when I see a real high short
1: interest. Uh, do you have like a checklist that you go through uh, before you decide to go net short on, an, on a single stock or um, on, on a net, net basis on the entire equity market?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I look at a lot of different factors. Uh, one of the main things I look at are DeMarc indicators for exhaustion signals um, it's the same thing on the downside when I want to buy something. As far as on the upside, I look at internal indicators uh, to look at which way, where the market is. And one thing that is really important, and a lot of people have talked about this, 50% is the sector that it's in, 30% is the individual stock, and then, oh, excuse me, the market, and then 20% is the individual stock. So I like to find sectors that get overbought or oversold. And then I can shoot against them. I do like to see short interest drop in on certain stocks and certain areas. I also like to see heavy put buying, excuse me, call buying. Um, You know, I'm trying to back and forth, long, short manager. Um, I like to see heavy call buying uh, at because most of the time people are buying calls. The heavy call buying happens at tops and I can, Demonstrate that 100 times. And when you see people on CNBC and they're talking about the smart money buying calls and something, really ask yourself, how good are those guys? And why are they telling me now with the stocks at the highs? It just makes no sense. And the same thing is when when you see heavy put buying, um, you, you could cause a put squeeze, which is essentially a short squeeze because people have to get out of those puts if the stock starts to lift. So those are little checklist things that I do and try and risk manage, keep my size appropriate. If I have a high conviction, I'll put the max size what for me is 5%. I will maybe start with 2%, maybe add a little here and there, uh, but I try to keep myself diversified. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: We we have a question from Mark on YouTube in uh, relation to this debate. He's asking you whether it's possible to assess whether the recent rally in equities is based only on a short squeeze or whether it's based on actual buying.
2: Oh, I think there's both. Uh, hmm. and, and that that's evident with the Bank of America fund manager survey. They saw uh, the largest increase in tech uh, inflows from their clients. And we're seeing huge covering across the board. So I think that's, you know, it's a combination. But I think that we're getting closer to the short covering ending. And that's kind of why we're starting to see a little bit of a stalling out. We're not seeing these furious moves right now. And I think there's a lot of people that are hesitant to get back in on the short side because of the FOMO, of the moves we've had, and they just don't want to get caught out. But the Fed's still there. They're still going. There's a lag effect with the hikes that they've already done. QT doubles. Earnings are going to start to soften. And we're going into a recession. And, I, you know, look, when people say that you're, you know, going into a, it's going to be a soft landing or a mild recession, you know, that's, that's like saying you're half pregnant. You know, it's, you, you either are in a recession or you're not. And it, definitely hurts. Unemployment is at three and a half percent right now. People, the feds not pivoting at three and a half percent. And just keep in mind when the fed has pivoted or unemployment has continued to go up. So when we have unemployment start to go up, it's not a one quarter thing. It is a two to maybe four quarter type of scenario. And the Fed's not going to pivot. They may just stall. They may just say, "Okay, we're at our we're at our rate. We're just going to sit here and play checkers at each meeting and do nothing, and that, that and see how inflation, if it comes down."
1: Uh, we have another question uh, for you, Tommy, uh, from from Bo. Uh, he's asking you whether a lot of what we've been seeing recently could be attributed to trading under 40. Um, his fear is that at this point, there is a few generations in the market that know nothing more than the Fed riding in on their white horse when markets go south. I don't think I should answer that one. You should tell me. <laughs> well, I was,
2: I, I was young um, before and, um, you know, like five decades ago. Now, here's the thing you you sort of learn as you go in the markets and you learn by watching risk develop and look i haven't been a market participant when we've had inflation at these levels and i've never seen the fed tighten as sharply as they have i've seen the fed tighten but not like this and i know there's a lag time and i've dismissed in my career some of the aspects of what the feds done and I learned from my mistakes. So I think there's a lot of people that take risk for granted and considering the carnage that we've seen in the market in the last year in so many asset classes, uh, some, something tells me that really people haven't learned enough about how to respect risk, how to manage money properly. And yeah, maybe it's the younger crowd that wants to you know push it, and they see green and they buy. And you know, my main thing is diversify, keep your sizing right, and take profits uh, early and often. And doing by doing that, you're going to have a profitable portfolio. But don't get dogmatic. And if things go turn into the red. Don't, don't start thinking, um, I'm a long-term investor in a lot of these things. Because if we do go into a recession, uh, markets don't usually do well and they usually don't turn around uh, that soon. And there's a lot of companies in recessions and tech bubbles that go under. And some of the best companies that we saw in the late 90s, 2000, uh, where are they now? And there are a lot of them that went under the largest tech company in Canada, the largest company in Canada, Nortel networks, which was like a Cisco networking company went under. Okay. So things can happen. Lucent. That was a huge company spinoff of AT&T dead. Okay. So you have to be respectful of the market and the risks that are associated because we really haven't seen anything like I've seen in the past when things get really ugly.
1: We, we've received a bunch of questions uh, on the so-called DeMarc indicators. Um, and we have one very specific uh, question in relation to the uh, recent signals uh, from the DeMarc indicators on megatech stocks and the major indices. Do you have so, sort of the broad picture uh, of that, Tommy, for us? Right. The, um,
2: so what what we've seen in the on the S&P is we've seen a um, DeMarc cell setup nine, which turned into a sequential. And the sequential is a continuation of the first nine bars um, moving higher. I'm just being very broad right now. So there is the potential on the S&P that we could continue higher to get the full countdown 13 exhaustion. You'll probably see me on Twitter, put that out. But in March, we had a very similar type pattern and we reversed after that nine. And the countdown 13s can cancel if we do get a reversal down. So I, I think that there's the possibility of that. One of the things I'm also looking at, and I think it's really important for people to look at, is look at a weekly chart. We've had one move down uh, and bounced, and then we made a lower low which is wave three and now we're making uh another bounce and i think that'll be another lower low wave four and then ultimately we'll drop through the recent lows in the 3500 right around there and go go even lower so that's a weekly chart that takes time to develop but in the meantime i'm just i'm watching these patterns develop there's nothing in the nasdaq right now that uh, I have that um, gives me any signals of exhaustion. I, I can look at other indicators that uh, that do. The one thing I I have done very much more this year, because I think it's a tactical market, is I'll I'll shorten my time frames on like the S and P futures or the Nasdaq futures, which I show almost on every all three of the notes that I put out each day, and those have been really good with the Demark signals as well. Uh, so when you get these exhaustion signals on the downside, they can be buys and on the upside, they're sells. So we're starting to see the 60 minute, 120, the 240 minute timeframes, 240 minute is like the next best in uh, next um, time period next to the daily. So I think that's been really, really good at spotting risk. And we just had one uh, the other day, the exhaustion countdown. So you know, this FOMO is tough to uh, shoot against, uh, but stay diversified. And if you're shorting something, you know, set stops, um, be patient. Um, If you're, if you're shorting um, short, small, you can be a little bit more patient
1: and have a little wider stop. Given that you're kind of leading net-net short on the uh, overall equity market into next week, Tommy. Uh, What's your thinking about the Jackson Hole Conference? I think it starts in uh, basically exactly a week from now. Is it uh, on your watch list?
2: No, it's on everybody's watch list. Uh, We're all watching to hear what uh, the central banks will say. Look, I think Powell's got to come out and be a lot more hawkish um, because the Fed governors haven't really moved the needle to persuade the market that they're ahead of themselves. And whether Powell does that or not, I think it would be a really bad disservice uh, for him to the market and to fighting inflation is if he comes out with any bit of a dovish statement. Sure, they're data dependent. Sure. But look, you're at eight and a half percent inflation right now. They want to get to two percent. It's not going to drop overnight, and it's not going to drop if the stock market is nearing all time highs. That's a fact, and I don't think the Fed cares at all about the stock market. I think they get cover to uh, hike rates when the market's up, I and mean, because look, if the market went down to three thousand, the he the Fed would have tons of pressure to reverse policy but they don't have any pressure right now to reverse policy of three and a half percent or unemployment and the s p 4400 you know it's it, it going bonkers again so i think the best thing that he could do is be as hawkish as possible if the market ignores
1: it well i I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the perfect conclusion of the Real Vision daily briefing today, Tommy. Uh, you know, I've made it my trademark to always conclude the daily briefing with a meme. Uh, and um, today's meme is uh, basically a meme in relation to this debate on, on equities going up during a recession. It's the famous meme with a couple lying in the bed, uh, the, um, the woman asking whether um, he's about to file for a divorce while he's while he's thinking about how equities can rally during a Session, So um, that's all for today, Tommy Thornton. <laughs> it was a great pleasure to interview you again. Thank you for joining.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh, great to see everyone. Um, and uh, nice to be
1: back on Real Vision. We will uh, be back tomorrow with more in the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Thank you so much for watching today.
2: What's up, revolutionaries?
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest,
2: and biggest names in finance.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.